This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. I got to tell you, you guys are already way more awake than the last service. Um, there's something about, uh, I, I had a long weekend this week. I didn't sleep very well. I was uh, in the Bay Area for for concerts, stayed up late, woke up early, drove home, and then preached yesterday. And um, there, I, I'm, I'm just going to be on the record here and tell all of you that I love sleep. Can I get an amen on that, right? right? See, the reason I love sleep is it, sleep is like a time machine to breakfast. Like you fall asleep, you're awake, bacon, boom. So it's good, it's good. Um, sometimes though, sleep, like you don't get to, you can't fall asleep on your own. Sleep comes to you. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Like you can't just be like, okay, sleep. It, it, do, it doesn't work. Like it just, it's, and sometimes it comes at the most op, inopportune moments, like church. Um, and no one else sees it but me. But here's the deal. I, I want you to watch this poor guy and, ju- you know, just be thankful you have nice, comfy blue chairs. Check this, this poor guy out. In this. Now bow. Whenever you complain about something, you could be sitting uh, crisscross applesauce and chanting for three hours on the floor. So, um, and then this one you have to see, I love this one because the, it's a little guy and he just falls asleep in the most unopportune place. And you know, he, his first look at mom is like, really now? And then the second look he gives at her is, you're gonna pay when I'm a teenager, okay? So go ahead, watch, check this guy out. Wake up. Hi, honey. Trying to wake up. And I'm out. <laughs> you gotta go. Well, you're gonna die. That's what he just said. <laughs> See, with, with sleep, I can't choose to go to sleep. I can, um, the best I can do is choose to put myself in a posture that will help me sleep, right? I can, I can make it nice and dark in the room. I can make it quiet or if you like ambient noise, you get the bed right, you get in this comfy bed and depending, you get the temperature right because it could be that in the, you know, in the summer, it's just a sheet and in the fall, it's one leg out, you know, and in the winter, you're nice and tucked in and, and you're, you're comfy and you, you, you know, for me, I roll over on my left side, bring my knee up a little bit and, and then I, I, I be, close my eyes and I begin breathing heavy, like I'm sleeping, not like I'm creepy, although my wife might think it is, but anyways, like you, really, all I can do is call on the visitation of sleep and hope it comes. But there are times, right? Now, adults, you ever have this, like 3 a.m.? I'm awake. Why am I awake right now? And you can't like fall back asleep. You've got 40 things you're thinking of. Everything's racing through your mind. And see, um, I can call the visitation of sleep by imitating the posture of it, then I have to wait for sleep to come. Um, 
It's the same way with God. Some of you probably came today wondering, why am I here? Why am I, you know, you're in a dry spiritual time. You haven't had a connection with God. It's the same way. Sometimes you've got to imitate the posture of worship to actually find worship. So I want to, I want to encourage you today as we dive into God's word to like get in that posture and ready your hearts and, and still yourself because we've got some, some good stuff coming. So I want to say good morning to those that are listening in our, on our online community, watching on Facebook Live, listening to the podcast all over the world, uh, to the ends of the earth, even Texas. So listen. If you have your Bible, um, I'd love for you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't, we'll have it on the screen. But let's all, if you're able to, I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read from the word of the Lord. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What did you learn at church today? Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Anyways, Listen, um, I got three points today, and I'm just, I, I want to give, give you a little context to what we're reading, what we're reading though. See, Paul has just talked about, um, in chapter nine, about how we have freedom in Christ, and we don't want people to stumble, because there were some Christians in this Corinthian church, um, some of them were really struggling, because um, there was, you know, in the, they would buy meat in the marketplace. And sometimes that meat was an animal that was sacrificed to a false God, to an idol. And they felt like they were defying God and being an idolater if they ate from the meat. And then there was a whole nother group of Christians that were like, it's just a meat and that's just a wooden idol. Get over it. And Paul was trying to explain, you have freedom in Christ. Yeah, you can eat the meat. You're fine. Your conscience is clear. But if it causes your brother or sister to stumble, don't let your freedom make them stumble. Just don't eat the meat when they're around kind of thing. So he, he's talking about that. And then he goes back and he reminds them that of Israel's history. And here's the interesting thing. The church at that time in Corinth, um, it, they didn't have First Baptist Corinth. They didn't have First Assembly Corinth or Calvary Chapel Corinth or, or Corinth Community Church or anything like that. They didn't have like a, you know, a church with a one word cool name, Corinth or whatever it was. They didn't have any of that. The church, it was just called the church, the ecclesia in Corinth. And what it was is it wasn't a building. It was a group of people and they gathered in homes all throughout the city of Corinth and the surrounding area. And they would all meet on Sunday in these, in these homes. And um, Sunday was their Monday. It was their version of Monday. And they would meet before they went to work. So they'd get there really early in the morning and they would sing the gospel and then they would retell the story of the gospel and then they would take communion to remember the gospel. They would pray and then boom, they would go about their day and do, do their work, you know. I don't know if they did it in 75 minutes like we do it here, if they did it in three hours or they did it in 30 minutes. We don't know that, but what we know is that's how they met. And it was comprised of Jewish believers in Jesus, that they believed Jew Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and 
Gentile believers in Jesus. Now I am a Gentile. I'm about as Gentile as you can get. I'm like the palest Scottish, Irish, oh, Scottish, you know, guy, guy there is, okay? And Paul um, earlier in Romans was talking to the Gentile Christians because the Gentiles were becoming more and more and the Jewish believers were getting smaller and smaller. Um, or they weren't growing like the Gentile believers were all over the Roman Empire. And he told all of them, hey, chill out. Don't think like you're the new thing, okay? If you're a Gentile, now how many Gentiles do we have in the house? Ooh, Gentile pride, good job. So listen. He said, you Gentiles aren't the tree. He goes, Israel, God's people is the tree. You're like a wild olive branch that God pulled from the ground and grafted into the tree. You're now part of the tree, welcome to the family. But don't, you know, don't think you're the whole thing. And we do that many times, especially as American Christians. We think like the church in America is like the new Israel, which is not true. That's crazy. We're just a part of the big thing that God's doing. So um, I got three points for you today as opposed to the no point sermon. So listen, number one, if you want to write it down, we're going to talk about the C. Okay. Some of you got that joke late, but that's okay. Um, look at verse number one. I want to read you verse number one. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.1, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea. Keep that verse up for a moment. Notice it says our ancestors. So he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. And they're saying, if you're in Christ now, you're part of Israel. You're, you're, they're, they're your ancestors too. So when we sing Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, he really is our father now. He's our spiritual father. Like it all kind of roots back with Abraham to David to Jesus, okay? So he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. And I want to give you a little context of what Paul's talking about. Um, everyone reading that at that time would have known what that meant. Paul was referring to Israel's history. And in the book of Exodus, right, um, Mo God uses Moses to set the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, the Pharaoh decides, wait a minute, I'm letting over a million people who provide free labor, tax-free labor for our, for our nation free. I've changed my mind, go get them and bring them back. And he sends his army to chase the Israelites. So they're falling after the Israelites. The Israelites are running from the Egyptians and they don't know where to go. They, they, you know, they just kind of are going. And God, it says, showed himself. He was, he was, the, the glory of God showed himself. If you were here last week, you'll remember, in like a cloud. And they followed the cloud. And as they followed the cloud, they got to this place at the Red Sea. It's the Gulf of Aquaba. And they're there on this beach and the clouds there and the Red Sea's there and they can see and they can hear the armies of the Pharaohs coming to kill them or capture them and take them back. And they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And then what happens in the story is this, is the cloud, the very presence of God passes over them and comes on the other side of them and it holds off the, the Egyptian army and keeps them safe for a moment. And here's what, here's what I need, need you to know. 
See, sometimes we, we think that like following Jesus is, is gonna be super easy and it was gonna, you know, it's gonna be like cozy and, and, and great. And sometimes when you follow Jesus, he brings you to a place that feels like a complete dead end in your life. It feels like your life is over. It feels like nothing's going your way. And, and the Israelites were all think, telling Moses, why'd you bring us here to die? But here's what you can be sure of. Even when you're in that moment, you can hold on to the promise that you have a God that goes before you and a God that comes behind you. And he's with you there at the same time. That's why they, they, God used the presence of the cloud, right? The cloud was before them, with them, ahead of them, behind them. So, the earliest Christians used this, this metaphor of Israel being in slavery, leaving slavery, passing through the waters, wandering the desert, eventually getting to the promised land that God had promised them. That theme mirrored the whole message of Christianity. And they caught that right away as they read the Exodus story. That's why the earliest Christians, Paul talked about how we were slaves to our sin. And then Jesus through the, through the cross and the resurrection set us free from our sins. And your baptism, right? Going through the Red Sea. Your baptism was the thing that signified your new freedom. And then wandering the wilderness. So that's where you live today. If you haven't been outside yet, you'll see it. It's the desert out there, okay? Until God brings you to the land he's promised you, right? So this, this whole metaphor of going through the waters, he was referencing baptism. And, and, and that's why to the Christians, baptism was a, a really big deal. It was like a big event in their life. That it should be something you do as an adult, you step into, it's an act of obedience, um, I want to give you a cool challenge. I, I think this, this is kind of a neat thing we're going to try over the next uh, three months as we kind of go headlong or all, all the way in on Focus 2020. We, we had a goal to see 1,000 people get baptized from 2017 to 2020. We're somewhere around 600 people right now. That means, um, yeah, that's great. That means, though, that we've got to baptize 400 people in like three and a half months. Um, that's like 138.33 people. So I don't know how you get a 3.33 person. Maybe it's a Raider fan, but whatever. Um, I'm kidding. Come on. <laughs> you know what the NFL and Apple have in common? Their chargers are terrible. But anyway, so <laughs> here's the deal. I want you to know something. Um, some of you, it's time for you to step in the waters of baptism, but others of you, like you have friends that have come to Christ. You have friends that maybe they're baptized as a baby, but they've never stepped, done it the way Jesus was as a, as, as a conscious believing adult. And I, I want you to know something. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a pastor or a priest has to baptize people. As a matter of fact, what we find in the Bible is that the regular people of God, the church for the people that did, a, did the baptizing in, in the New Testament, they were always doing it. Um, the apostles were doing the preaching and the, the people of God were doing the baptism. And you're like, I didn't go to seminary. I can't baptize someone. I'm gonna teach you how to do it right now. It's really easy, okay? You say this, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then you push them under the water. Watch, repeat after me. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And look, you don't even have to do the buried with Christ, all that stuff. That's just stuff we do. Biblically, all you have to do is put them under the water. And you know, when Jesus got baptized, odds are he just did this and John touched him on the head and he went under himself. 
And then he came up. That, that, that's the whole point. And you don't have to do that in a church if you don't want to do it in front of a thousand people. You could do it in your jacuzzi. Um, I've got a friend and he's going to, I'm going to baptize him at Shaver Lake. And then he's got some friends that he's going to baptize at Shaver Lake. He doesn't know that yet, but I'm going to make him do it instead of me. And how cool would it be if you guys started baptizing people and then you just posted it to social media, you hashtagged it, um, you know, uh, hashtag CHC Focus 2020. Do we have that slide? Do we have that slide? There you are. And you, you did that. And over the rest of the year, we were just able to share those things of people stepping into the waters of baptism. That would be such a cool thing. So I encourage you to do it. Um, You you need to get their consent. You can't just push them in the pool or spray spray a group of kids with a hose. Follow this unholy spirit. That doesn't work that way, okay? So uh, number two, the cloud. We're gonna talk about the cloud. It says in verse two through four, I wanna read it to you. It says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual rock that accompanied them. So, so they're, they're, you know, the cloud was the presence of God. When you get baptized, you go through the waters. The Bible says that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God now lives in you, right? So you carry the presence everywhere you go. Like you have it. That's why I always tell you to go be the church because you carry, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God and you carry your little temple and some of you have really big temples and some of you have really little temples and and I have a, a fairly dainty temple for a dude, I know, but we carry those temples out to be the church. That's how, that's how it works. And it, it says here that they all ate the same spiritual food and he's referencing what happened is once they crossed the Red Sea and by the way, I need, to, I need to make a point about this. Um, I know how groups work. I know how human, groups of human beings work and we're no different. And if we were the Israelites and we were there that day, and I'm sure this has happened with the Israelites, is when Moses threw the staff down, the Red Sea parted. I know there's one group in this room. It's a small number. It's probably two to 5%. Your early adopters, your, your risk takers, your bungee jumping, pinto driving kind of people, Right? The minute it opened up, you would have been like, freedom, let's go. And you just start running. You didn't check to see if it was safe. You were like, I'm going to follow me to freedom. Let's go. And you're running across celebrating Yahoo, right? That's a small percentage of you in this room. The next group would be mid adopters. And you would kind of watch them and be like, okay, well, they haven't died yet. All right, let's go. And you go across, right? You know, and then there'd be another group of you that are late adopters right? I know you guys, you guys just got cell phones in the last couple of years. Thought it was a fad. Just picked up a Facebook account while everyone's leaving it. But, um, and you would be like, you'd be checking it out. Like, is this safe? Those people look crazy. I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm going to go. And you kind of go with trepidation and you know, and some of you actually, you're in that group, you'd run to catch up and pretend you weren't a late adopter. But anyways, really nervous. And then there'd be that last group that, that I call them no-nos. They're the never adopters. And even you though, probably would have went. Even be- not believing what you saw, just hearing Pharaoh's army, you'd been like, I, I, 
I'm not going down there. I'm going to stay in Egypt. It's comfortable in Egypt. It's good in Egypt. I don't know if I can make it all the way across. What if God closes the thing on me while I'm going across? I got to go. And you go. All right? Here's what I want you to know. When you got to the other side, whether you were the guy that ran, that was full of faith, believed that God had saved him, whatever, he ran across and got there first and spiked the football and did the whole thing, or you were the one that was scared to death the whole time walking through thinking that God God wasn't going to be faithful. Here's what I know. Faith got you through. And it doesn't matter if you got there first or you got there last. It was God that saved you. It wasn't the strength of your faith. It wasn't how fast you ran and how excited you were. So if you came today and you don't have a lot of faith and you see people singing and putting their hands there and and that is awesome. Some of them are just assuming the position of worship and waiting for God, God to come. Others are full of faith. And you may be like the one that's like, I don't know about this thing, but you have a little bit of faith. The Bible says all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And you're in a great place today. I want you to know that God is for you this morning, okay? So it says spiritual food. So they get on the other side of the the desert and they're like, freedom, yeah! Hey, um, we're 7-Eleven. We're, you know, I'm kind of hungry, right? And there's no food. Well, here's what happened. They went to bed that night and when they woke up and every day while they were in the desert, they would wake up in the morning and there was a thing called manna. And they would take the manna and it was like a coriander seed type thing. And it just would be on the ground all around the camp, camp of the Israelites. And there would be enough for everyone and they would make bread out of it. And manna, believe it or not, is actually a Hebrew word. And the literal translation of manna in, into Hebrew is, what is this? That's awesome, right? They woke up in the morning and they're like, what is this? That's what they ended up calling it. You know, it's like a whatchamacallit bar. Anyway, so, so, so here, here's the thing. God fed them every day and it wasn't always awesome. Sometimes we come to church and you'll hear Christians or evangelicals and they'll, they'll kind of use this, this, uh, this phrase. They'll say, oh, great sermon pastor. I feel fed. Or if they're not happy with their church, they'll say, I'm not feeling fed. And I understand the sentiment behind that, but I need you to understand something. Um, you have everything you need to eat in this book right here. And sometimes you're gonna hear a good sermon that inspires you or teaches you something or drives you closer to God. And other times it, it, it might seem mundane, but I want you to know something. The Israelites got up every day and they got sick of manna, but that's what they had and they ate it every day. And they probably got ungrateful. We, you guys would never do that, but they did. And... It's not always about experiencing God every moment. We kind of live in a world where we want like the big God thing all the time. And I want you to know something. You will have those moments in your life. I was talking to a young person and they've been on lots of missions trips around the world. And they're like, I just love, I love going on missions trips because that's like where you really experience God. Like I experience God in these incredible, huge ways. And I said, that is so cool. It's true. Very true. Everyone should at some point go on a short-term missions trip. I said, but, you know, do you experience God when you're home? And they were like, well, I do, but it's not the same. And I said, well, um, it actually can be, and it should be. And the, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't have to be a big, giant thing. As a matter of fact, God will use big moments in your life, but they'll come far and few between. But God will use the mundane things in your life to shape you and make you more like Jesus. When you're faithful in little things. I'll give you a great example. 
Um, I wanna encourage you, if you have children, read the Bible to your children. Go get a, a storybook Bible. There's one called the Jesus Storybook Bible by Zondervan that's amazing. And I read that to my kids every night while they were little and we'd read it all the time. And, in, and, and sometimes they weren't paying attention and sometimes you'd be like, so who is Jesus? You'd ask them a question. They'd be like, I like Cheez-Its. And you know, and they weren't, and you think like, this is a waste of time, but you do it over and over and over and over. It's in the mundane. God honors and, and grows you and grows them in the mundane. I even try and do it with my teenagers. And listen, they don't even want to hear it. We'll be reading the Bible and they'll be like, God the worst dad you know and you know I tell him well you know you, when you get to be an adult you can tell your therapist that your dad read you the bible sorry um, but here's what I know it's in the mundane things in your life and I don't read the bible to my teenagers every, every day because my soul can't handle it always but listen um, they're like it's so dumb um but, but here, here's what I know. When you plant a tomato seed in the ground, it looks nothing like a tomato. And it takes a long, fantastic process to turn a seed into a tomato. And all I'm doing is putting the seed in the ground and allowing God to make it grow. And it's in the everyday things that, that, that God, God shapes you. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Um, sometimes it's, it's in just being in a growth group. Uh, I go to growth group on Tuesday mornings with, with uh, a men's group here at the church that Pastor Mitch leads. I show up at that. There's some Tuesdays I show up. I'm like, oh, I, well, I preached the sermon, so I already know all the content they're going to talk about. Why am I here? And um, I don't experience anything. And I just kind of hung out with some men, and they, they encouraged me, and I encouraged them, and we moved on. And then every now and then there's a Bible study that blows my mind or someone says something. But it's, it's, that, it's those habits in my life that God is using to shape me right? And then what happens is, is, um, you know, in the moment over the last five years that I've been in that group and I've sat at that table, the men in that group have become brothers to me. And I think about them on a regular occasion. Uh, Hopefully they're thinking about me. We're challenging each other. And over five years, we've grown each other. I get perspectives from them I would have never thought of. Some of you, you probably just need to take a class. That'd be, that'd be kind of your, your next step. I encourage you, get in. We have a 201 class starting in two weeks. You can fill out your card and drop in the offering, say you want to be in 201. But that might be, you, you never know the little stupid things you enter into for God that he uses to shape you in incredible ways. I remember I was at a conference about 15, 16 years ago at Saddleback Church. I was there and um, there was a, there, the breakouts were going and the breakouts are like just little classes that, None of the like famous speakers are speaking out. It's just a bunch of nobodies, right? Um, like me, I taught one there this summer. But anyways, I was the nobody. But here's the deal. I decided, well, there's this one on um, planting a church. And I thought at some point, you know, maybe I'm supposed to start a church. Maybe I'm supposed to be a church planner. Um, so I'll go to this class and we'll see. So I show up at the class, this guy's there. He gets up, he goes, you know, I have this whole curriculum I'm supposed to teach, but I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't really like it. And I, what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna tell you stories about uh, this church I'm planting. And um, some of them are gonna be really inspiring and some of them are gonna be about how hard it is and, and you know, how difficult it can be. And, and um, in the end, we're gonna pray and I'm just gonna pray that God either inspires you to plant a church and if you're not called to it, please don't do it because you'll hate it. And he did, and he taught the, he told the stories. And while I was listening, I knew, I was like, I'm supposed to do this. And that guy, just that dumb class changed the trajectory of my life. 
I don't know if you know, the teacher of that dumb class was a guy named Dr. Steve Davidson. Dead serious, dead serious. About eight years ago, I recognized, well, actually after that, I was like, oh, Clovis Hills. I have family in Clovis. Every time I came to Clovis, I'd come to church on Sunday morning and I would sit with you guys in church. And about eight years ago, I saw him at a conference and I just, he didn't know me from Adam and I just walked up and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Um, you taught a class at Saddleback years ago on church planning. And he's like, yeah, I remember that. They never asked me back. I must've sucked. And um, I said, well, maybe it did, but uh, it didn't for me. And it inspired me to plant a church. I told him about the church I planted and our church has planted seven churches since then. And thanks for sharing all those stories. And that, that was incredible. You're a big part of what I stepped into that. And um, I wouldn't be here today, guys, if I didn't go to a stupid class. It changed my life. See, sometimes, actually all the time, God works in the mundane day-to-day things. And we're off trying to, some of you are off trying to chase these big giant experiences. They'll come to you if you're faithful in the day-to-day things. So I have a friend, you know, you always don't see the fruit of your faithfulness. You may never see it in your life. I have a friend, he started tithing seven years ago. What that means is, um, in the Old Testament, it talks about the Israelites would give the first 10% of their income to God. So he started doing that. It's a biblical thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And he couldn't really afford to, but he did it anyways. And I remember I was talking to him. I go, how long you been doing it? He goes, I've been doing it seven years now. I go, that's really cool. You know, um, what's the, how's it affected you? He goes, yeah, I was thinking about it the other day. I added up seven years of uh, 10% of my income over seven years. It was, and he gave me the number. I'm like, dude, that's a lot of money. That could have been a down payment on a house. He goes, I know. I'd not be a renter right now if I didn't obey God. And we kind of chuckled. And then he said, he goes, I wouldn't trade it for the world though. He goes, well, that sacrifice taught me over the last seven years. Cause sometimes I couldn't afford to do it. And I did it, and somehow God made up the difference. What it did in my faith grew me in ways you, you can't imagine. You may not see a tangible fruit from it. As a matter of fact, um, I've been tithing my whole life, and I've never gotten rich from it. I, uh, contrary to what TV preachers tell you, I've been planting seeds my whole life, and I'm not rich yet. You may be poor doing that, but you'll be rich. God will bless you. So here's the deal. In verse 4, It talks about the rock, this rock. And it says, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Now, it's interesting to me. He's referencing a story out of Exodus, out of the same story. In Exodus chapter 17, um, the Israelites realize, we got no water. We're in the desert. We're all gonna die. You know, they're freaking out, right? And um, they come to Moses. And in Exodus chapter 17, uh, verses one one through four, I wanna read it to you. It says, so they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? And I, you know, you guys never quarrel with me, right? You guys never write anonymous little notes in the thing complaining about something and not putting your name on, never. And then I never go, why do you quarrel with me? course we do. I mean, this is the, I mean, this mirrors how people have been for thousands of years, right? And he's like, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? And then it said, that, but the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why do you bring us out of Egypt and make, make us and our children and our, and our livestock die of thirst? 
And then Moses cried out to the Lord. What am I to do with these people? I've never prayed that, guys. Don't worry. If you're listening on the podcast, I gave a sarcastic face. But anyways. And then he said, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Not the California kind, but the Middle Eastern kind. That one hurts. So... It's this story, and they're in a place called Mirabah in the desert of, of um, in the Middle East. And I don't know if you know, but kind of that area where Israel is, is a giant valley. They call it the Jordan Rift Valley. It goes from about Turkey all the way down into Africa. And what happened, I guess geologists tell us millions of years ago, there was an ice age. Uh, icebergs came in, made the valley. And then when the ice age ended, those, those um, glaciers melted all that water went somewhere. A lot of it drained into the oceans, but a lot of it drained into the aquifer. And to this day, there's all kinds of water sources in this incredible desert in, um, in Israel. As a matter of fact, the place where the waters of Meribah was, I'll show you just, we got a little, little video of it. You can see it. Like there, there's just water gushing out of the mountains, right? And in this story, it says that Moses, after he, he cried out to the Lord and did that, God told him, go strike the rock. And he struck a rock and out of it, water started shooting out. And all the Israelites fed their livestock. They got the water they needed. They did whatever they did. And, and, and then, um, I didn't know this because it doesn't say it in the Old Testament, but Paul says something really interesting. He says that they, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And I started looking into that. And really, here's what's going on. Is Paul is not drawing from the Old Testament when he says that. It's an old, ancient, rabbinical tradition that the Jews believed that after Moses struck the rock, they carried a piece of the rock with them wherever they went. And that rock would produce water for the Israelites. And that's why he says the rock accompanied him. And then he gives the, the parallel. And he says, for you, that rock is Christ. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said... I have water that you don't know about. And if you drank from me, you'd never thirst again. I want you to process that for a minute because I want, I, want I want to talk about the rock for a minute. Number three in your outline is the rock. And can you smell what he's cooking? It says here in verse four and five, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered all over the wilderness. See, the rock was a, an object that shouldn't produce water, but it did. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, all of us in this, this room, we all drink something. And, I, and I'm not talking about literal water. I'm talking about spiritual. Like you have to have water to live, right? Or you die. Now, spiritually, we all are taking in spiritual food and spiritual water. And the problem is, for many of us, the water we are drinking is not living water. When Jesus called himself living water, that was a word that Jews used for water that was clean, it was circulating, it wasn't stagnant, it didn't have giardia in it, it, didn't, you know, it wasn't bad for you, it didn't make you sick. I don't know if you know, most of the world's health problems begin with bad water sources, right? And here's what I know. Many of us in this room, many of us in our country, many of us around the world, we're drinking from water sources that are polluted and dirty spiritually. If, if, if you're young, you're looking at memes, you're watching vines, you're watching videos that are polluting you. 
and how you see the world and how you see God and how you relate to God and how you even relate to God's word. For those of you that are over 40, it's probably you're listening to news sources and things that are polluting, that are contrary to God's word. And some of you are like, well, I listen to Fox, so I'm safe. No, that one too. All of them. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with the news either, by the way. Okay. It's not a knock on the news. I'm just telling you, we, we take in things and information and we treat that as if it's the truth. And the only truth you rest on ultimately is God's word. Everything else should be filtered through God's word. And we're drinking water that's making our soul sick. We're listening to music, we're taking music in, we're taking images into our mind, we're having conversations, we're having all these things that are making our soul sick. Have you noticed our culture lately? Does it look like a healthy culture? So, author William um, Langerschweib, he tells the story of an um, Algerian guy, these two Algerian guys, one was named Loglog, and they're, they're traveling across the Sahara Desert in a truck, and it was a long journey, and... Um, really about a three weeks journey to get across this, this desert. And um, their truck broke down and um, they're freaking out because they only had, you know, a certain amount of water. They actually probably had enough food that would last them a long time. But they knew they, they only had so much water, there was no civilization around and they were scared to death. They dug a hole in the ground under the truck and they laid in that hole under the ground to stay cool and they began to ration their food and water. Eventually, after a bit, they realized the food was making them more thirsty so they stopped eating because they knew it was gonna make them drink more water. Eventually, they were, they were running out of water. And um, I, I don't know if you know this, but like doctors, theologians, whatever, um, in higher education, we tend to take just common sense words and then we put some kind of Greek or Latin word to it to make us sound smart, okay? Like if you were a um, theologian, you know, we have words like superlapsarianism, which is it's just stupid. Okay, but anyways, we, we do that. And um, physiologists, they'll, they'll tell you um, the word for thirsty is uh, eudipsia. I don't know why they don't just say thirsty, but whatever. So they developed in this desert, eudipsia. And then what happens is over time, you move from eudipsia, eudipsia to um, what they call uh, hyperdipsia. Hyperdipsia are these little, you're thirsty, but then you get these short bursts of, oh my gosh, I'm thirsty, I need water, I'm gonna die. Like your brain just freaks out. And then you go back to being, oh, I'm just thirsty. It's kind of the equivalent of being hangry, right? So you move, and I don't know if you know, like dehydration is one of the most painful and torturous deaths a human can die of. Because it's so long and it just screws with your brain. After you move from hyperdipsia, you move to polydipsia, which just means you're always like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die, I'm so thirsty. And then from, from, from polydipsia, you start developing, your brain goes crazy because you start freaking out and you're scared to death and you start craving anything that's a liquid. And then they have all these different terms. One's called uh, eurydipsia. It really is called that. And I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Oh no, it's uriposia. And it means that you're so thirsty, you're craving your own urine now. And then after you run out of that, usually you'll move into something called hemoposia, where you're craving, you'll just drink blood. You're so thirsty, you'll drink any liquid that comes your way. And he tells this story about these guys and they run out of water. They go through all those phases. They're going crazy. And they end up drinking the fluid that's in the radiator of the truck, knowing it's going to poison them 
and shut their organs down because they were so thirsty. Guys, spiritually, that's where some of us are at today. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He said, I offer water that when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. But many of us, we're drinking water, we're drinking something. This sermon should have been called, have a drink on me, okay? We're drinking something that is not satiating our thirst. And, and you know, maybe for some of you, it's beauty. If I was just more beautiful and if I had more beauty and you're, you're doing everything you can to be as beautiful as possible and you never feel beautiful enough and you always feel like you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. Or maybe it's success or maybe it's money or whatever it is for you. Oh, if I only had a boyfriend, if I only had a husband, if I only had a wife, if I only had a girlfriend, if I only had a better husband or wife or girlfriend, or if I had a better car, if I had a better house, if my kids were smarter, if I had more, whatever it is. And we drink and drink and drink and drink and it never satiates us as matter of fact, it's made our soul sick and have it abundantly. It's the thing that's going to satiate our thirst. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He said, I give you water that if you drink, you'll never thirst again. It's a living water that you could have. And he offers it to anyone who wants it. And for some of you, you thought, that's nice. I'll try that later in life. I'm busy drinking this. And that's fine. But I want to ask you a question. How is that working for you? What's the condition of your soul? What's the condition of your life? See, the Bible says really, the Bible's super clear about this, that God loves you so much. He's not mad at you. He sees us drink, and I've been there. Yeah, even as a Christian, I was drinking stuff that just has made, made my soul sick. I deviated from Jesus. And God knew I was going to do that and he loved me and he waited patiently and he didn't take my salvation away. I was still his child. He just waited for me to finally feel sick enough to come back to him. And for some of you, that's you today. And God is not mad. He loves you. He's welcoming you home to him. For others of you in the room, you don't know where you stand with God. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would go. You know, what the, what the Bible tells us is you don't get to heaven because mom and dad were Christian or grandma was. You don't get to heaven because you did a bunch of good things in life and you out did more good things than bad things. The Bible doesn't say that either. You don't get to heaven by having a church membership. The only thing that gets you in God's presence to heaven is a, relate, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he was, and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. See, the Bible's really clear that everyone has fallen short of, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't get to God because of our sin. As a matter of fact, you ask most people that belong to this church, we got any sinners in the room today? Yeah, this service, they celebrate it. They're like, we're the best sinners. All right, listen. All of us have sinned, including your pastor. And, and, and we, it, what it's done is it's separated us from God. You can't have a relationship with God. And God knew that and he wanted one with you so desperately that he sent his son Jesus to live a life that was perfect as a perfect sacrifice. And, the, and it says that if you believe in Jesus and who he is and what he did, for, that his death on the cross was for your sins. If you believe that and then you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved, that your sins are forgiven. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is. And that's good news. So, so it said the earliest Christians, John said it. He said, 
to as many as receive him. So the way, the way you, you get a relationship with God, the way you drink the living water, the way, the way you get to heaven is you receive Jesus in your heart. And it says in John, but as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, that you receive him. So in a moment, if you want to receive Jesus, it's really that easy. You just pray and you invite him in. And I'll lead you in a prayer. But I want you to know something. It will, if you mean that prayer, it will change your life. You may not feel anything right away. You know, I remember when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I was just a kid. And I thought like, yeah, I'd open my eyes and like doves would land on my shoulder and I wouldn't struggle with sin ever again. And oh, you know, I'd be that guy, Dave Love. And um, <laughs> kidding, Dave loves sins too. But listen, it didn't happen for me. But again, when you put a tomato seed in the ground, it doesn't look much like a tomato but there's a long transformation that happens to get a tomato. And it's the same way, is that God has planted Jesus in you. He's planted the spirit of God. The minute you believe, the spirit of God believes in you. And we have this tradition here that whenever someone receives Jesus and they pray to invite Jesus in, we give them a bulb and a Bible. And the bulb is a way for you to kind of confess to the world, like I'm in with Jesus. And you take that bulb and... um, You've screwed into our Jesus' life, light and love. We have a bunch of empty light bulb sockets over there on love. And it's a way for you to mark the day, to say, you know what, I, I'm in, I believe. I'm with Jesus. It's not about how good I am, it's about how good he was. And that bulb lights up and it just represents Jesus, the light of the world that now lives in you. And then we also give you a Bible and you can have your name engraved on it. And it's just symbolic. It just, you know, the Bible says that when you receive Jesus in your heart, your name is written in the book of life and there's nothing you can do no sin too great that'll erase you from it because what he did on that cross and through the resurrection is greater than your sin all of your sins combined all the sins in our room combined sin was strong but Jesus is stronger guys and then what we ask you to do is the churches will get up and we'll start singing because we heard good news so what happens when you hear good news is you praise God for it. And while we're singing, um, I'll be hanging out up here and I have this bulb. I got a bunch of them actually and, 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 and Bibles. And I would love to just high five you, give you a, ble- a blessing. Um, while the church is singing, um, it's kind of scary to come forward in front of people and do that. But here's the cool part, especially 1140. These people cheer you on like you won the Super Bowl. Like they're just, it's the cool, it's, a mo- it's your moment. And we celebrate it because we know it's a decision that will change your life. So why would you put it off? Today's your day. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you've never received Christ before, maybe you're coming home to him, I just wanna invite you to just, just talk to him in the quietness of your heart. Let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I wanna thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.